0: Internal monologue. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Babylon Five season three episode "A Day in the Strife." So this episode weaves together multiple plot threads uh, and develops things further, and it's really expertly done. There's only one plot that kind of falls flat. It's probably very obvious which one that is. That's the probe one. And I'm th- not sure about the entire behind-the-scenes situation. Uh, the probe plot kind of furthers some thematic ideas. However, it kind of serves as our thread of the week, kind of, to keep the viewer engaged just in case all the other amazing plots that we have going in the character progression we have going bores you, I guess. I'm not really interested or, or invested in the probe plot as I am the other ones, which is why my focus uh when talking about things is going to be on the chakar the londo and the uh franklin uh plots that that's gonna be my focus um uh, what i what little i have to say about the probe stuff i'll bring up later um so the the i would say the a plot is really uh re- really the uh the Jakar stuff, the B-plot is the Londo, the C-plot is the Franklin, and then the boring D-plot is the Probe Plot. So, the, uh, Jakar stuff, uh, this is absolutely fascinating, because we get Nefar, who is this, um, he's effectively a collaborator. He is a docile Narn, he is a, essentially a Centauri lapdog, he's a puppet, uh, that it was brought on to the station to be the official liaison between the uh, the Narns and Babylon 5, officially appointed by the Centauri, because that was one of their stipulations in the treaty, and no one takes him seriously. Uh, the The reason being is that it's very clear he talks with a centauri mindset uh it it, it's clear he doesn't agree with everything centauri does and he it's very clear that he has been beaten down and broken as a result of everything that's happened but he is essentially become a collaborator he's he he's uh become basically anything for survival means sleeping with the enemy And that's scene no better than his scene with Jakar, in which he points out, rather correctly, that Jakar's resistance is targeting, uh, you know, food drops by the Centauri, and they both have a point. is like, well, we need to prove that we are not going to accept our new Taskmasters, that we are a free people, and we we will not just be uh, docile, and so, all Centauri targets, you know, all Centauri ships, anything, is a, is a valid target. And Far brings up, well, you're causing your own people to starve because these were food drops. And, and Jakar's like, well, we can bring in our own food. He's like, well, you're not bringing in enough. And, the, and, and Jakar rebuts saying that the Centauri are trying to buy your loyalty with food. ...to prevent starvation. They they have no care about the actual starving of innocent people. They have no care about your well-being. They're just trying to buy your loyalty. And... They both are right. That's the complexity of the situation. Yes, Nefar is a collaborator. Yes, Nefar is... A, ...is someone who is bending to the, the tyrannical role of someone... Uh, in the enslavement of his own species, but he's doing it out of necessity for the survival of his own species and his own family. And Rekor is right in wanting to stand out to tyranny and say, no, we refuse to bend. Both are correct. And this show beautifully, you know, paints it as, yes, both are correct. Neither is correct. This is an incredibly gray, very morally... Uh, questionable situation there is no good or wrong answer there is no uh you know good and evil there is no right and wrong this is a situation far more complex than something as simple as right or wrong you cannot define it that way and i I think that's what's beautiful about this is that 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 is ultimately the crux of the entire car side of the the plot is is what way is the correct way how do you take the next step forward when you feel like every step is ultimately a regression because Jakar is willing to go and submit uh, for the the savior the being the savior of these people's families all all the Narns on the station's families will be targeted by the Centauri as a as a way to threaten Jakar because he's the last surviving member of the ruling council of the Cotterie, still at large. And so they, they need him. They need to capture him. They need to make an example out of him. And so they're going to threaten him. And he's more than willing, he's more than willing to sacrifice his life for everyone else's life, for their family's lives. And... They all tell him, no, you have to stay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they don't need a Centauri puppet like Nafar. They don't need someone who's docile and willing to uh, sacrifice his own morals and beliefs for the betterment of others. They need someone who will stand up and say, no. You know, plant yourself like a tree and say, you move. You know, the Captain America's mindset. Uh, As Talon says... You know, I, ca- I the way I see it, I carry my sword in my hand. You carry yours in your heart and your mind. As I see it, that gives you a two to one advantage in arms. And the entire idea in the symbology of the uh, the uh, the katak sword is, you know, you're not you, you, when you draw it, you're not allowed to sheath it until you draw blood. That basically the they, the, the non-earnest place where they're going to have to sacrifice, and they're going to have to sacrifice a lot. A little pain now, for the freedom of pain later. That is their situation. They need someone who's willing to fight a battle, not in arms, but fight a battle in words. And that's where Jakar is. That's, that, that's his position, and they need someone like that. And it, it, it puts immense weight on Jakar that for every second that he lives in the privilege and the safety of Babylon 5, people, uh, people on Narn are dying, starving, being tortured, and it's a miserable situation to be in. And now every word he says will have immense weight because he knows lives are on the line if he doesn't do this correctly this is a very complex situation there is no right or wrong answer this is a situation in which all you can do is take the lesser evil and hope for the best powerful powerful stuff this is amazingly well written uh, and you feel for Jakar, because no matter what he chooses, it's the lesser evil. It's it's heartbreaking. It's great. Excellent writing. Then, moving on to the B-plot. Uh, the Londo situation. He is at a point where he knows he needs to get Veer out. Veer, Veer is this innocent Centauri who does not believe... In the rhetoric of his people. And Londo. Honestly believes that should be preserved. He legitimately. Goes and cares. For Veer. He is his best friend. He may not show it all the time. And it, it, because of the way. Londo is forced to act. As the, the Centauri ambassador. But he truly does care for Veer. And there, there's a great moment where Delenn just asks for the brass tacks, you know, uh, when, 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 when Lando is asking her to make Veer the representative of the Centauri to Minbar, and she asks why, and, and Lando says, well, it's the, the furthering of Veer in his career, uh, you know, it's important uh, that, that we show a strong face as the Centauri, and, and Delenn goes, thank you, now the truth. And it just cuts right through all the rhetoric that Londo has been spewing. And that's when Londo lowers his guard and he's, he's like, I, I think, you know, Veer, uh, you know, uh, is too much like me. And, you know, he needs to be protected. Londo has become such a cynic. As a result of everything that has happened. And he has done horrible things. And he must say horrible things. And he must continue to do these vile vicious things. And some of it he doesn't agree with. And he wants to preserve the innocence Veer has. So he's removing Veer for his own protection. To keep him safe. And that is... A good sacrifice It is a necessary sacrifice, but it's not easy because Londo will now be alone without Veer. He doesn't have that other voice telling him, you don't have to do this, you don't have to be the mask, you don't have to act like this, you don't have to act like a goddamn Centauri all the time, you can be yourself. And without that, maybe Londo will slip further and further down into the hole that he has dug. But he's doing it to save Veer from digging his own hole. From getting further and further down into this horrible, horrible pit. And to preserve that kindness and that goodness that Veer has. It's a good sacrifice, but it's also a sad sacrifice. It's a bittersweet kind of thing. Uh, and And it really shows in the way that Veer cannot stand the way Londo and the other Centauri are acting. And and Londo may criticize him, you know, vocally in, in the, you know, you should act like a Centauri, you should be proud of your heritage. He also at the same time is trying to push Vera away from the politics to ensure that that mentality is not diminished. The, you know, that it, is, that it is good and healthy for him to think that way. Uh, now the Franklin side of the plot also really good. Um, you know Franklin is overworked, and uh, you know the actor does an amazing job of betraying this this guy who is just tired all the time, exhausted. You know, uh, and I I I have my own mental health issues which cause me to be. Oh, you know, tired and exhausted and fed up with things. And I've been there. Believe me, I've been there. And then he goes off to the restroom. Uh, and then suddenly he's energized again. And we begin to wonder, uh, you know, what the hell is going on with Franklin? How all of a sudden he went from this tired, uh, you know, burnt out guy to suddenly the most energetic person who has the courage to go and ask a girl to dance with him. Uh, and all this stuff, and Garibaldi picks up on it, and of course Garibaldi does, because Garibaldi used to be an alcoholic, and he knows what that kind of road, that kind of mentality leads to, and so he confronts Franklin on the fact that, much like his friend, uh, the, uh, the mar and uh, the doctor that had the alien healing device, that, he's over relying on stems to get through the work days and that he's taking shifts that he doesn't need to simply because he thinks he's the best at what he does. And what I love about this situation is that Garibaldi comes at it very honestly. He he's like, Hey, I'm your friend. Come you know, come over, let's have a meal together and he he's like and Franklin is too smart you know he, he's smart enough to know okay there's something going on here you know cut the bullshit and garibaldi you know explains you want to know why this is a glass of water it's because if it's anything but water i don't know how to stop and he approaches it like any person with a previous you know um addictive personality someone who's experienced that pain Uh, and the hardships that come with an addictive personality, and says, listen, I've been where you have been, you know, you can get through this, you just need to be honest with yourself and with me. And Franklin acts like any addict. I I don't personally have an addictive personality, but I've been around people who've had an addictive personality, and he gets defensive. And when they get defensive, they get passive-aggressive. Instead of attacking the problem... Or blaming or putting the blame where it should be laid at, which is the issues with themselves and their mental health, they instead blame you, and that becomes the issue. And because Garibaldi has pointed out to Doctor Franklin the issues, to, uh, and Stephen doesn't take his stems that he's been relying on to keep himself going, that he's become biologically and mentally addicted to. There's no other word for it. He's become dependent, codependent on them. And then when the entire probe situation morphs into the Franklin plot and he's on the video call, he becomes irritable and, you know, pissed off. And while it's perfectly understandable for him to be annoyed with the way that woman was acting, you know, we can't, you know, we can't get a hold of this person. This person's on vacation. And Franklin's like Listen, I I have a, a station full of a quarter million people, and you're asking them to die because you can't get a hold of someone because they're on goddamn vacation? Perfectly understandable to be frustrated and annoyed and angry at that situation. But the way Franklin goes about conversing with her and voicing his irritation is making an ass out of himself. He's doing it the wrong way. He's doing it the non-diplomatic way. And he is making a complete and utter ass out of himself. And people notice. That's not the way you go about that situation. And that's when, when other people start noticing his irritability, he goes right back to taking the stems. And it's becoming a serious, serious issue. He has an addiction. And Garibaldi can see the signs of the addiction... But Stephen Franklin refuses to admit it to himself. And the first step to admitting there is a problem is admitting it to yourself. And Franklin's addiction is going to become a very important thread through this season. And I've been trying to point out the hints added in previous seasons. We've had hints of his addictive personality all the way back in season one. And the close friendship between Garibaldi and Franklin... Uh, it, you know, is going to be strained as a result. It's going to be interesting. The you know what the analysis mode on to go through this, because it is a very character driven, non, you know non, massive, uh, plot thread. But it is a plot thread that is very personal, and I think uh very well done ultimately. Um. So we'll see how that is going forward. Now the final plot thread. The probe plot thread is boring. It is there to be the thread of the week, to keep your viewers engaged through commercial breaks. Uh, it, in all honesty, it can be admitted, and you wouldn't lose anything, because in my opinion, all the other plots are gripping and intelligently written. This is a fantastic episode, except for this half. You know, the, this fourth of the, the plots the twist at the end is interesting enough basically the idea is that instead of being a probe that is there to say this is our culture this is first contact we want to get to know you it is an intelligence test and it's you know presented as though oh it's an intelligence test to uh to decide if you're if you're advanced enough to be worthy of communication, sort of like those one, uh, uh those one aliens, that uh, wanted to have sex with Ivanova. You know, we we gotta make sure that you are sufficiently evolved enough for us to care. But then it takes it and twists it, where at the end it's actually a a, a way to uh, get rid of uh, any potential threats. It is a very shadow mentality, the survival of the fittest, of uh, you know, uh, if you present a potential threat, you know, if you're sufficiently evolved, you're, you're sufficiently advanced enough, it explodes and kills you. Boom. Done. You know, takes out a threat. Uh, it's simple, it's effective, makes sense, it's a nice twist, and it has thematic implications with the ongoing Shadow and Vorlon uh, you know, mentality that I have been talking about over the past couple episodes of, you know, uh you know, being docile and obedient versus uh, you know, uh, the survival of the fittest. Uh, chaos rules, basically. But it's uninteresting. And besides for a hilarious uh, you know, line between Ivanova and Sheridan of if I saw the worst in everything I would end up like you. Um th- you know the Sheridan's optimism versus you know uh uh Ivanova's pessimism uh you know realism versus pragmatism uh you know that kind of thing uh it's not at all interesting it's prim- and the tone of it even almost seems like JMS doesn't care that it is Ultimately, therefore, humor purposes because everything else is dire and sad and tragic in this episode. And so, to see something that's funny, you know, give some levity. Uh, there goes my faith in the Almighty. You know, the is honestly funny, but it could be ejected from this episode, and you would miss nothing. So, a day in the strife. Ultimately, a good episode. Three fourths of the plots are. Excellently well written Furthers a lot of character arcs Furthers a lot of thematic meaning And the uh, You know the, the, the plot D As I would call it You know the probe plot Boring as hell Pretty generic science fiction But it does have a nice twist And it has enough humor To keep things going Where you're not too bored But honestly you could be ejected And no one would care uh, I shall see you next time Bye.